Good morning, and you can talk to me. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. We are still in the Easter mood, of course, and the events of that first Easter Sunday were the greatest that ever happened in the history of the world. Jesus conquered death and made it so that we who believe could have eternal life. What a gift it was to the human race, and what hope, what happiness. So much so that we couldn't possibly spend only one week celebrating it. So we continue this morning with our thoughts of Easter. I've been preaching here for 34 years. I have preached to you with cancer. I have preached to you with covid I came through a howling blizzard to preach to you on Christmas Day. And when the government closed our doors, I preached to you outside in the pouring rain. I preached to you during a 30-mile-an-hour east wind. And I preached to you with an overcoat and a hat in 40-degree weather. And now I preach to you as the radioactive man. <laughs> My friend Dr. Singh has planted radioactive seeds in my eyes and I'm advised to stay away from children. And you know how many children give me big hugs, which I do most thoroughly enjoy. So in order to do them no harm, I'm speaking to you from a distance. You can see half of my face is covered. Some of you might think that's an improvement. Be that as it may, John Tremblay has made it possible for me to speak to you this morning, so thank you, John. And if I were near to you, you might feel a warm feeling, and you couldn't tell if it was love or radiation. By speaking to you through the digital medium, you can be certain those warm feelings you feel are love. Monday, they will... Uh, remove the radioactive seeds, and I will be normal. Well, maybe. I've never been really normal. But I thank you all for your prayers and support and kindness during my time of what the Apostle Paul called a light affliction. You are all precious to me, and I thank you all so much. Now, we will be considering a part of the Easter story taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. It's a story of two men, one named Cleopas, and the other is completely unnamed and unknown. And apparently the two friends lived in a small town called Emmaus, <coughs> located seven miles from Jerusalem. And like thousands of other people, it was with joy and anticipation that the two men went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover the week before, a joyful holiday like our Christmas. The excitement was greatly enhanced by the possibility that Jesus of Nazareth would also attend Passover celebrations in Jerusalem. 
And Jesus lived up to all their expectations. Jesus entered the city amidst a cheering crowd, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, and waving their palm branches. And Jesus preached sermons and taught lessons on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in the temple. Thursday night was a night to celebrate Passover. But by Friday morning, bad news spread through the city. Jesus had been arrested and he was on trial for his life. And by Friday, 9 a.m., Jesus was condemned to be crucified. The common people were shocked by the news. He was led outside the city gates and nailed to a cross. And by 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, Jesus was dead. Cleopas and his friend were stunned by the news. Saturday was a Sabbath day with travel restrictions. And when Sunday morning came, the shocked and discouraged friends decided, let's get out of this awful place. Let's go home to Emmaus and leave this horrible place behind. So they headed west out of Jerusalem towards home in Emmaus, a seven-mile walk. But they walked slowly. And as we come on the two travelers, we see them starting, stopping, moving slowly. And from a distance, you might think the two men were arguing. But a better word is reasoning, a deep, serious discussion, very intense as the two men traveled along, no smiles, no laughter, no joking, all very serious to the point, and to the point, and if you were to try to describe their emotions, you would say that they were sad. Very sad. The emotion of human sorrow may spring up from various sources. So let's try to find out why the two friends are so sad as they walk along the road towards home. Luke chapter 24. I begin reading at verse number 13. And behold, two of those who were that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. The two men are sadly walking, having their discussion. And a third man joins them, coming up behind them. And the two friends, to the two friends, the newcomer is a perfect stranger. They do not recognize Jesus. Now why? The text says their eyes were holden, or in our words today, their eyes were restricted. They were kept from recognizing Jesus. And in the human brain is an ability to look at faces and recognize people by the shape of their face, the placement of their eyes, the size of their nose, and the things that make us a little bit different. Sometimes that ability is loss. Dementia 
can destroy the ability to recognize others. Damage in the brain causes that to happen. My grandmother in her 90s looked at my father one day and said, who are you? <laughs> 70 years of recognition gone caused by dementia. Jesus who created the brain could cause people to not recognize him. And he did that on several occasions. And here in this case, the two men knew that Jesus had been crucified and were certain that he was dead. And so they were halfway there to believing that it was not possible that this stranger who joined them on the road was Jesus. So Jesus blocked their ability to recognize him. And they, he joined them as they walked along. Verse number 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in word and in deed before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have been redeemed Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day and since those things were done, yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. When they found not his body, they came, saying they had seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were there <coughs> with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women said, but him they saw not. So the stranger asked the two men as they're walking, what is it that you have been discussing so seriously that has obviously made you so sad? Well, my friends, human sadness comes from a heavy heart. And there are many reasons for it. One of the most obvious reasons for human sadness is the loss of a loved one. When a person that we love dies, it's natural response to feel sadness. And these two men feel that sadness. Jesus was such an exciting person, so amazing and yet so kind. He stood up for the poor people and the common people, and they loved him for it. And so naturally, the two men are sad because Jesus had died. Another reason for human sadness is what I would call mental perplexity, that is confusion that causes people to be unable to understand what is truth. The two men on the road to Emmaus have said, we thought that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, that he would be the great redeemer of Israel. He had all the qualities to be Messiah. But the Jewish leaders crucified him on a cross of wood. And when he died, all our hopes were dashed. And now we're even more confused. 
Some women went to the tomb early on Sunday morning and came back and reported that the grave was open and the body had been removed. A couple of men ran out to check on what the lady said, but they couldn't find the body. So now we don't know what to think. What we did so firmly believe now seems to be so wrong. And so human sadness comes from the inability to make decisions. Those unsettled feelings, we don't know what to think. But there is one more cause, which is probably the most powerful reason to bring on human sadness. When the two men believed that Jesus was the great promised Redeemer, that was their great hope. Someone to get behind. Jesus was a reason to live. He gave purpose and meaning to their lives. And when he died, the two men felt, there goes our reason for living. My friends, everyone needs a reason to live. Everyone wants to know that they exist for some purpose. Those Jewish men had learned from their mother's knee that a promised Messiah would come someday. So they grew up waiting and watching for Messiah to come. And especially with the Roman invasion of Israel, they longed for a Jewish Messiah to come. And all their hopes hinged on Jesus. And now he's dead. No reason to go on living. Jesus is dead. So if we put those three reasons together, the loss of a loved one, confusion, and the loss of hope, you get people who are not logical and capable of making very poor decisions. Now you might think that the answer is very simple. Jesus, who is there with him, just needs to say, look at me, I'm Jesus. All your troubles are over. <clears throat> simple as that. One, two, three, and you're all better. But that is not what Jesus did. Verse 25, let's see what he did do. And he said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and uh, to come to his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. If Jesus said, hey, fellas, it's me, that would have left them with hundreds of questions and still confused and still apt to make poor decisions. But it's quite surprising what Jesus says to them first. Oh fools and slow of heart to believe. Did he really call them fools? Yes he did. Why? Because foolish people don't deal well with reality. Foolish people don't reason well 
And so without reality and good sound reasoning, they can only make foolish decisions. Prove it. Prove they don't have sound choices. It's very simple. They heard a report that the tomb was empty, and now they are walking away from Jerusalem. Good sound reason would have gone to the tomb, investigated, and said, I'm not leaving this town till I know why that tomb is empty. But instead, confused and sad, they're walking away from Jerusalem on the very first Easter day. So Jesus will help their sorrow. And he begins to explain to the two men, using the Old Testament as backup, here's the reason why Jesus had to suffer and die. You were wondering that. And so he starts at the beginning and reveals the plan of God right at the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you turn the page just over in Genesis, and it says there is coming, though, a hero born of woman who will crush the serpent's head with his heel, but the serpent will bruise his heel. So the promised one will be bruised. Isaiah promises that the promised one will be wounded and bruised and chastised with many stripes. But there's a reason for it. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Daniel the prophet says Messiah will be cut off from the land of the living and he will die. And David in his prophecy speaks of Messiah and he says a pack of evildoers comes all around me and they have pierced my hands and my feet. And that was hundreds of years before humans ever devised this plan to kill people by nailing to a cross. Job would prophesy, know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand upon the earth in the last days. And so it was, Jesus explained God's plan from the beginning to end about why Jesus suffered and why Jesus died and that he would rise again. Based on information that was available and had been available for hundreds of years, it was logical, a reasonable explanation for everything that happened. And the two men listened and they thought, wow, this makes sense. And they understood God's plan right from the beginning. They felt their confusion melting away. But there's still one thing left. One thing remained. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus anyway? Now I just love what happens next. Verse number 28. As they drew nigh to the village where they went, he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, 
For it is for, towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. As the three men arrive at Emmaus, and they come to the house of one of them, Jesus said, well, i got to keep going. It was nice talking with you today. So have a good night. And they say, no, 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 no. It's late. You must have dinner with us. And Jesus said, no, I need to go. And the two men say, no, we insist. We won't take no for an answer. You will eat with us tonight. And Jesus said, okay, if you insist. <laughs> I love it. Jesus is always doing that. It was his regular habit to act like that. And one windy night, when Jesus came walking across the, on the water of the Sea of Galilee, it says that he made as if he would pass by the disciples in the boat. And the disciples saw him and screamed out, Jesus, hey, come to the boat over here. We're here for you. So Jesus came to the boat. And another day, Jesus was walking by a blind man on the side of the road. The blind man yelled out, Jesus, have mercy on me. But Jesus kept right going. And the people in the crowd said to the blind man, quit yelling, will you? You're making a nuisance of yourself. But he only screamed louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stopped. And then he healed the blind man. Jesus was always passing by. Why? Because he wants to know how sincere you are. Do you really want him? To those who insist, to those who say, Jesus, over here, to those who will not be silent, Jesus comes and visits his friends. Especially when they insist. And the two men insisted and Jesus stopped for dinner. Verse number 30. It came to pass as he sat at meat with them and took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scripture? Jesus took over the meal the way he always did. Jesus blessed the bread the way he always did. And Jesus handed them broken bread the way he always did. And suddenly, like a flash of light, suddenly their eyes were open. <gasps> Jesus, he's right here with us. Maybe they saw the nail scars in his hands. Maybe they recognize his old table manners. But most likely, Jesus removed the mental block, and there he was, Jesus, right here at our little table. And then he just disappeared. He's gone. But why did Jesus disappear? My friends, listen well, because the heart, once the heart is convinced, the eyes are no longer needed. 
Jesus' long explanation of God's plan that he gave to them on the road to Emmaus had helped them understand. All that was needed then was to believe. And they said, our hearts are burning inside of us when he explained it all on the road. And he lit our hearts on fire. And the fact that he disappeared cannot now change our minds. And with those burning hearts, they ran out the door all seven miles back to Jerusalem. They found the disciples and said, we saw Jesus and they told him their story. My friends, we have a lesson to learn from this wonderful Easter story. The resurrection was all a part of God's plan. And for all of us, something to remember, Jesus will come to you when you are sad. When you're confused, and when you have lost all hope, he's quite willing to help you to understand. And then maybe best of all the lessons, Cleopas and the unnamed man. Who was he? Nobody. Certainly no one of importance. No one even recorded his name. But to Jesus, he was important. Jesus knew his name. My friends, there is no need to ever feel that you are nobody special. That no one notices you. No need to feel insignificant. Remember, on that first Easter day, Jesus appeared to, what's his name? <laughs> I don't know. He had appeared to Mary Magdalene because of love and devotion. He had appeared to the women because of faithful service. He had appeared to Peter because Peter needed to be forgiven and then he appeared to this unknown man. And he will be glad to stop at your house. Make sure you really mean it. As a matter of fact, insist that Jesus come to your house. And he will come to you. May you do it. And may you understand. And then believe. Be convinced in your own heart, as Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are they who have not seen and still believe. May God bless you as you trust in him with all your hearts. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that it would bring us courage and strength that we would believe in you and want to know the reasons why, and that you would become the reason we want to live. So help us, Lord. If we're confused, clear our mind. If we are sad, bring to us joy. And if we need a reason to live, then give us 
what we need. We know that you can, and we ask that you will. Bless these people, because they have been here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.